this past December, Sherry and I went to New York for several days. And while we were there, one of the things that we did was visit the 9-11 Memorial. And I've got to tell you, it was sobering to go there to visit that memorial and, and read some of the names that were written on that memorial. 2,606 men and women who went to work on that day thinking it was just like any other day but it wasn't just like any other day. It was their last day. And then a day or two later, as Sherry and I were walking down near Times Square one evening, we passed this on a wall near Times Square. And it reminded me of the people, the first responders who had lost their lives that day. 414 in all. 414 who were not trying to escape what was happening. 414 who were not running from danger. They died rushing into harm's way. They died rushing in to rescue those who were trapped. Those who were without hope. Those who were perishing. And as I saw that picture on the side of the street, it gave me a new appreciation for first responders who every single day are willing to step into dangerous, difficult situations to rescue us, to protect us from sometimes large disasters, at other times from personal emergencies. But these first responders are always on call. They are always ready. They are always there when they are needed. Today we are launching our global mission theme for this entire year and our theme is rescue. And it's my prayer that as I share with you this morning that as we come to the end of our service and we enter into a time of prayer that you will have done three things. First of all, that you will have understood and received what God has done to rescue you. Second, that you will have made the commitment to join him in his rescue efforts. And then third, you will have recognized that, that God empowers you. God empowers me for the task he gives us. Now let me begin by giving you some facts and some figures. At present, there are over 76 billion people in the world, 7.6 billion. Of those, almost 42%, roughly 3 billion people belong to unreached people groups. That means they have little or no access to the gospel. Most of them have never even heard the gospel. Now that doesn't mean that 4.6 billion are saved. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means that 4.6 billion of the people in the world have easier access to the gospel. Most estimates tell us that no more than one billion of the world's population have personally responded to the gospel and trusted Jesus. One billion out of 7.6 billion. In North America, it's estimated that 269 million people are without Christ. And tragically, we aren't even keeping up with the population growth in North America. What that means is each and every day, 
there are more lost people who are walking the face of the North American community than there are people who know Jesus and love Jesus. In our own state, South Carolina, one of the most unchurched areas in the world, this past Sunday, 3.6 million people were unengaged with any church whatsoever. 3.6 million people. And in Lexington County, with a population of over 281,000, only 65,000 are involved in any church. Over 75% of our neighbors, our co-workers, those who we sit next to in school are likely living without a personal relationship with our Savior. Some have never fully heard the gospel. Others have heard the gospel and rejected it, but God's word is very clear. God loves everyone, and God wants everyone to be saved. God desires a relationship with everyone. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but rather he wants everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to spend eternity separated from him. God wants everyone to know him and experience his love. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says it this way. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, some of you may be asking, why would, would anyone perish? Why, what do people need to be saved from? And to answer that, we need to go all the way back to the beginning to have a better understanding of the present. When God created mankind, God created us perfect in every way. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. Now, some tell us that, that God created us simply to display his glory. But if God is God, everything displays his glory. God didn't create you and I simply to display his glory. God created mankind for something different. God created mankind for relationship. He created us in his image. He created us in his likeness, distinct different from everything else he created so that we could know him in a unique way. And he created us with freedom, the capacity to choose. He did that because we cannot experience relationship without freedom. For us to be able to know love, we've got to be able to know hate. For us to be able to know what it is to stay and work through we need to know what it is to walk away and reject. For us to know what it is to obey, we've got to be able to disobey. And for us to accept, we've got to be able to reject. God created us with the capacity to choose. And when he created that first man and first woman, he placed them in this paradise. And, and in this paradise, God gave them a green light to do anything except one thing. God gave them one command. He said, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, if you do, you will die. And tragically, that first man and that first woman were deceived 
into believing that freedom would come from disobeying rather than obeying, and they disobeyed God. They rejected God as God, believing that they could become their own God. But when they ate that fruit, just as God said, everything changed. As far as their relationship with God, it was severed. Physically, they began to die. And that disobedience, that sin that infected them has infected each and every one of us to the point that we all sin. We are all born with a sin nature and as we grow and develop and mature, we act out on our sins and our sins bring separation from God. And our sins ultimately bring death. But remember, God created us different. God created us distinct from every other living being. He created us for relationship. So instead of destroying that first man and that first woman when they sinned and disobeyed, instead of starting over and going with a plan B, God already had a plan in place. He had a plan in place to rescue the human race. A plan that began literally before creation itself. And that takes me to the three truths that I want you to grasp this morning. Here's truth number one. God is on a rescue mission. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul was talking to the church at Colossae and he reminds them what God has done for them. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, For he... God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then it goes on in verse 14 and it says, Who purchased our freedom through his blood and forgave our sins. You see, the Bible says that our sin, our disobedience against God resulted in our being slaves to sin. Have you ever wondered why? After all of our supposed evolutionary changes, we still struggle with jealousy and envy and strife and greed and all of these things that divide us. Have you ever wondered why if we are growing better and greater each and every year as we go through this evolutionary cycle, have you ever wondered why we still kill and lie and cheat with one another? The reason is because we aren't evolving. We are devolving. We are prisoners of the kingdom of darkness. And no amount of political change will solve our problems. No amount of education will change our hearts. No amount of economic redistribution will create the utopia some hope for. And the reason is, is because at the core, we are sinners. We are proud, arrogant, jealous, envious, greedy, selfish people. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. He came to set us free. And when he does, listen, when he does, it changes everything. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere. Listen, by changing 
lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. When we hear the good news and understand the good news and receive the good news, it really does change everything. And what is the good news? The good news is Christ came to this earth. He died for our sins. He was buried. But on that third day, he rose from the grave defeating sin and death. And when we by faith put our trust in him and turn from our sins, he fills us with his spirit and he changes every single thing about him and about you and about me. And Paul says to the church at Colossae, you have been rescued. There are many of you who have been rescued. You can go back to that moment in your life, that time when, when Jesus rescued you. And, and I say a moment, I say a time, because if you were trapped in a burning building, there was a moment in history when that firefighter, that first responder, that police officer came into those flames, grabbed you, and led you to safety. There was a moment. And for each of us who have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, there is a moment in time when we have been rescued, when we have been set free, when we have heard with our ears, when we have understood with our mind, and we have been touched in our heart. We received, we accepted, and the Holy Spirit changed us. And here's what you need to understand. What he has done for many of us he wants to do for all of us. What he has done for many, he wants to do for everyone. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't just want a chosen few. He wants everyone to be a part of his family. So the first thing you need to understand is this. God is on a rescue mission. So second... How does that happen? Well, we know that it starts when Jesus Christ comes to this earth and dies on the cross and defeats sin and death by being resurrected. We know that. But how do people hear this good news? Well, that takes us to the second truth. And that's this. Those who are rescued are called to join him in his mission. I love what it says in Jude chapter 1. Verse 23, listen to this verse, the first part of this verse. It says, rescue any who need to be saved as you would rescue someone from a fire. Rescue any. That means rescue anyone who needs rescue. And it means rescue everyone. You and I are called by God to be on a rescue mission saving everyone who has not yet experienced the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God that is found through Jesus Christ. And we see in this verse the urgency of our task. He said rescue as you would rescue someone from a fire. If someone is trapped and dying in a fire, we wouldn't go into a planning session and start thinking and strategizing about how we're going to get them out of the fire. We wouldn't pray for years and years and years about how we're going to put out the fire. No, we would get buckets of water and begin to pour it on the flames. And we would send someone in to get them out of the flames. 
And that's what it says here. You and I are called to rescue anyone who is called up in the darkness just as we would rescue someone who is called in a burning building. If someone is called in a burning building and we don't respond immediately, the truth of the matter is it's going to be too late. And here's what we know. There are people who will never hear the good news unless they hear it from us. Look at me, church. There are people that will never hear the good news unless they hear it from you. There are people that will never hear the good news unless they hear it from me. You are responsible. I am responsible. We are responsible, each of us. And so who is it that God wants to reach through you? Who is presently in your sphere of influence that God has put them there so that you can share with them the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ? Where is it that God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone into to share the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ? And listen, God will hold you responsible. He will hold you accountable. And he will hold me accountable. The people of Colossae heard the good news because someone was faithful. In verse 7 it says this, you learned about the good news from Epaphras. Our beloved co-worker, he is Christ's faithful servant. If you are saved here this morning, the reason you were saved is because someone cared enough to share the good news with you. Who do you care about? What are you willing to do? Don't think if, if you're taking care of kids or changing diapers once a month, you're doing your part to reach the world. You're not. Don't, don't think that if you're teaching a life group or a Bible study and you're helping people just grow in God's knowledge, you're helping reach the world. You're not. Don't think if, if you're out there in the parking lot directing cars, you're doing your part to reach the world. You're not. And don't think if you're singing in the choir, you're doing your part to reach the world. You're not. All of those things are good. As a matter of fact, those things are great and they're important and we have to do those. But the Bible makes it clear that our responsibility goes far beyond that. You and I have a responsibility just like Epaphras did to share the hope that we have with people who have not yet responded to the gospel. And if we don't, if we don't, they will die and go to hell. Now what does that mean? Well, it means personally that each and every one of us are, are a missionary. A missionary is not someone who goes overseas. Charles Spurgeon said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. A missionary is just someone who shares the good news with people. Everybody is a missionary. What that means is this. The job that you have 
is not simply a job so that you can make money. God has placed you in that job. God has placed you in that position so that you can be a missionary there. The neighborhood or the apartment complex that you live in, you don't live there just simply so that you have a place to lay your head at night. God has you there so that you can be a missionary in your neighborhood. You don't go to the school you go to just so that you can get an education. God has placed you in that school, if you know him, so that you can be a missionary. You don't go to the gym you go to just so that you can get in shape and look sexy. God puts you there so that you can be a missionary. That's the implication here. God has commanded us who have been rescued to go with him on this rescue journey. And then it also says something to us corporately. It says we don't decide what we do as a church. God does. We don't determine our mission. God does. That's why at Northside our mission is to make disciples. By urging all people to believe in Jesus, belong to his family and become like him. And as they become like him, then they will make disciples. It's the Great Commission. Go into the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything. We don't write our mission. God does. It means we don't do ministries and programs for us. Because we like them. We want to get together and make each other feel good. Can I tell you, we've got all eternity to feel good? Amen or oh my? We've got all eternity to gather around with believers and feel good. We've been given a job, we've been given a mission, and we need to get serious about that. That means, listen, listen, there are huge implications for this, because that means it's and especially at 1045 and hopefully at 915. But, but as we grow and reach more people, that means we need to scoot in. And we need to take the bad seats. And leave the good seats for those who are not yet here. That means that we do ministries and programs not for us, but for those who are not yet here. That's the implication if we really take this seriously. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was telling the parable of the hundred sheep? Do you remember that? Remember that? And Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven when one lost sinner repents than 99 who don't need to repent. Jesus is saying that if you want to see heaven rejoice, then what we need to focus on is the one that's out there that doesn't know Jesus. Not the 99 that are in here that are gathering together each and every week. God's given us a task. God is on a rescue mission. God has commanded us to join him on this rescue mission. And then finally, God empowers us with what we need to accomplish his mission. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, Jesus is, is about to go back to heaven. And he's giving these last words to his disciples. And it says, one 
once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is, is that what you're talking about? And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice what Jesus said. He said, in a few days, what the Father has promised has happened, is going to happen. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized, baptizo, is the same word that we use when we baptize someone on Sunday morning. It means to immerse. It means to submerge. It means to be completely covered with. Jesus said in a few days, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you with so much power that it's going to be as if you are completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. You are completely covered by the Holy Spirit. And then notice what he says. He says, and when it happens, you will be my witnesses. He, he didn't say, when it happens, you'll be able to spout off all kinds of biblical theological truth. You'll be able to wax eloquently about about eschatological things and, and about soteriological, soteriological things and, and all of these theological things. He doesn't say that. He says when God's Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witness to everyone, everywhere. Can I tell you? There are very few Holy Spirit-filled churches today. Will you listen? There are very few Holy Spirit-filled believers today. Because if we're filled with His Spirit, the one thing that is going to drive us more than anything else is being his witness in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and, and then to the ends of the earth. And we can sit back and talk about all of these things that give evidence of the fact that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself said, when you're filled with my Spirit, you'll be my witness. So he commands us. And then he empowers us. And so my question for you this morning, you who are part of the Northside family, is this. Are you willing to man up or woman up and ask God to fill you with his spirit? Are you willing to receive from him what he says he will give you if you want it. And then are you willing to obediently trust him and go into your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Now what are the implications? 
Here are the implications. If we understand God's rescue mission, we receive it, and we're obedient to command to go in and join him in his rescue mission, filled with his Holy Spirit, we will do four things. We will pray. Not for Aunt Sally's ingrown toenail. I'm sure she wants you to pray for that. But that's not what I'm talking about here. You'll pray for lost people you know by name. You'll pray for missionaries and church planners. You'll pray for people groups who have not even heard the name of Jesus. You will pray. Because God moves in response to prayer. You will care. You will get involved in ministering to other people in Jesus' name. You will do that through partnering with us in, in some of the things that we do, like Food from the Heart and Mission Columbia and other things like that that you can get involved in. But, but you will care in your own neighborhood. You'll care for people that God puts in your path. You will begin to minister to people in Jesus' name so that you can share the hope that you have through Jesus. Third, you will share. You'll learn to share your story. And though it's frightening, there are times that I get ready to share that it is still frightening to me. But you know that you've got to because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And so if we want to see people's lives change, we've got to share the message with our mouths. So we're going to share. And then finally, we'll give. We'll first of all give to our local church, whatever that is. If you're a member here or you're a tender here, that's Northside. And in our annual budget, we have in there line items that are specifically supporting missions and evangelism here and around the world. But once we do that, and we're obedient in that way, then we give above and beyond. And we give to our global missions offering. That's my second, our second, giving commitment. To give above and beyond the tithe. To share the message of Jesus around the world. Now hear me. I don't want you to do that unless you're giving the first point. If you're a part of Northside and you're not giving to help us accomplish our mission together, then do that first. And then as you grow in the grace of giving, then begin to give to the global missions offering. But if you're already giving, then let me encourage you to ask God what he wants you to do. Because he wants you to get involved. And I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want you to go to God right now where you are. 
And I want you to ask God what he wants you to do as far as praying for lost people. What he wants you to do as far as caring for those he puts into your life. What he wants you to do as far as sharing the good news with those you come in contact with here and around the world. And what he wants you to do in regard to giving and maybe even making a commitment today because that's what we'd love for you to do. And so as our band plays for just a moment, I want you to pray and I want you to talk to God and I want you to do business with God and I want you to ask God what God wants you to do. So let's pray right now. Father God, I am so thankful so thankful that when I heard the gospel, I responded and you changed everything. I am so thankful that you rescued me from darkness and you transported me to your kingdom and Father, I am thankful that you have entrusted me with your rescue mission. You have entrusted us with your rescue mission. So Father, I pray today will be a day that we as a church step up and we step out and we go to the next level when it comes to reaching our world. Lord, I pray that we will be a praying church, a caring church, a sharing church, a giving church, so that all may know, so that all may hear. Oh, Lord God, I pray that we will be faithful so that you will use us to bring more into your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name.